Section 8 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 4, by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 51, The Reform Agitation, Part 1. The reform banner then had drooped over the sinking heads of Lord Russell and Mr. Gladstone, and the Liberal administration was at an end. The Queen, of course, sent for Lord Derby. There was no one else to send for somebody must carry on the queen's government and therefore lord derby had no alternative but to set to work and try to form an administration he did not appear to have done so with much good will he had no personal desire to enter office once again he had no inclination for official responsibilities he was not very fond of work even when younger and stronger and the habitual indolence of his character had naturally grown with years and just now with infirmities. There was, therefore, something of a genuine patriotic self-sacrifice in the consent which he gave to relieve the sovereign and the country from difficulties by accepting at such a time the office of prime minister and undertaking to form a government. It was generally understood, however, that he would only consent to be the prime minister of an interval, and that whenever, with convenience to the interests of the state, some other hand could be entrusted with power he would expect to be released from the trouble of official life the prospect for a conservative ministry was not inviting despite the manner in which lord russell's reform bill had been hustled out of existence no sagacious tory seriously believed that the new government could do as lord palmerston had done that is could treat the whole reform question as if it were shelved by the recent action of the house of commons and take no further trouble about it. Lord Derby, too, when he came to form a government, found himself met by one unexpected difficulty. He had hoped to be able to weld together a sort of coalition ministry, which should to a certain extent represent both sides of the House. It seemed to him only reasonable to assume that the men who had cooperated with the Conservatives so earnestly in resisting the reform measures of the late government would consent to cooperate with the conservative ministry which their action had forced into existence accordingly he had at once invited the leading members of the adullamite party to accept places in his administration he was met by disappointment the adullamite chiefs agreed to decline all such cooperation a leading article appeared one morning in a journal which was understood to have mr lowe for one of its contributors announcing in a solemn sentence made more solemn by being printed in capital letters that those who had thrown out the liberal ministry on principle were bound to prove that they had not been animated by any ambition or self-seeking of their own indeed the voice of public opinion freely acquitted some of them of any such desire from the beginning mr lowe for example was always thought to be somewhat uncertain and crotchety in his views there was not wanting persons who said that he had no set and serious political opinions at all, that he was more easily charmed by antithesis than by principle, and that he would have been at any time ready to sacrifice his party to his paradox. But no one doubted his personal sincerity, and no one was surprised that he should have declined to accept any advantage from the reaction of which he had been the guiding spirit. About the rest of the Adullamites, truth to say very few persons thought at all 
no one doubted their sincerity for indeed no one asked himself any question on the subject some of them were men of great territorial influence some were men of long-standing in parliament but they were absolutely unnoticed now that the crisis was over the reaction was ascribed to one man alone there was some curiosity felt as to the course that that one man would pursue but when it was known that mr lowe would not take office under lord derby nobody cared what became of the other denizens of the cave they might take office or let it alone the public at large was absolutely indifferent on the subject the session had advanced far toward its usual time of closing when lord derby completed the arrangements for his administration mr disraeli of course became chancellor of the exchequer and leader of the house of commons lord stanley was foreign secretary lord cranbourne formerly lord robert cecil was entrusted with the care of india lord carnarvon undertook the colonies general peel became war minister sir stafford northcote was president of the board of trade and mr walpole took on himself the management of the home office little knowing what a troublous business he had brought upon his shoulders sir john packington boldly assumed the control of the admiralty an appropriation of office to which only the epigram of a beaumarchais could supply adequate illustration on july ninth lord derby was able to announce to the peers that he had put together his house of cards the new ministry had hardly taken their places when a perfect storm of agitation broke out all over the country the conservatives and the adullamites had both asserted that the working people in general were indifferent about the franchise and a number of organizations now sprang into existence having for their object to prove to the world that no such apathy prevailed reform leagues and reform unions started up as if out of the ground public meetings of vast dimensions began to be held day after day for the purpose of testifying to the strength of the desire for reform the most noteworthy of these was the famous hyde park meeting the reformers of the metropolis determined to hold a monster meeting in the park the authorities took the very unwise course of determining to prohibit it and a proclamation or official notice was issued to that effect the reformers were acting under the advice of mr edmund beales president of the reform league a barrister of some standing and a man of character and considerable ability mr beales was of opinion that the authorities had no legal power to prevent the meeting and of course it need hardly be said that a commissioner of police or even a home secretary is not qualified to make anything legal or illegal by simply proclaiming it so the london reformers therefore determined to try their right with the authorities on july twenty third a number of processions marching with bands and banners set out from different parts of london and made for hyde park the authorities had posted notices announcing that the gates of the park would be closed at five o'clock that evening when the first of the processions arrived at the park the gates were closed and a line of policemen was drawn outside the president of the reform league mr beales and some other prominent reformers came up in a carriage alighted and endeavoured to enter the park they were refused admittance they asked for the authority by which they were refused and they were told that it was the authority of the commissioner of police they then quietly re-entered the carriage it was their intention first to assert their right and then being refused to try it in the regular and legal way it was no part of their intention to make any disturbance 
they seem to have taken every step which they thought necessary to guard against any breach of the peace it was clearly their interest as it was no doubt their desire to have the law on their side they went to trafalgar square followed by a large crowd and there a meeting was extemporized at which resolutions were passed demanding the extension of the suffrage and thanking mr gladstone mr bright and other men who had striven to obtain it the speaking was short it was not physically possible to speak with any effect to so large an assemblage then that part of the demonstration came to an end meantime however a different scene had been going on at hyde park a large and motley crowd had hung about the gates and railings the crowd was composed partly of genuine reformers partly of mere sightseers and curiosity-mongers partly of mischievous boys and to no inconsiderable extent of ordinary london roughs not a few of all sections perhaps were a little disappointed that things had gone so quietly off many of the younger lookers-on felt aggrieved exactly as the boys did in the bride of lammermoor when they found that the supposed fire was not to end in any explosion after all and that the castle had gain out like an old wife's spunk the mere mass of people pressed and pressing round the railings would almost in any case have somewhat seriously threatened their security and tried their strength emerson has said that every revolution however great is first of all a thought in the mind of a single man one disappointed reformer lingering in park lane with his breast against the rails as the poetic heroine had hers metaphorically against the thorn became impressed with the idea that the barrier was somewhat frail and shaky how would it be he vaguely thought for a moment if he were to give an impulse and drive the railing in what he wondered to himself would come of it the temptation was great he shook the rails the rails began to give way not that alone but the sudden movement was felt along the line and into a hundred minds came at once the grand revolutionary idea which an instant before had been a thought in the mind of one hitherto unimportant man a simultaneous impulsive rush and some yards of railing were down and men in scores were tumbling and floundering and rushing over them the example was followed along park lane and in a moment half a mile of iron railing was lying on the grass and a tumultuous and delighted mob was swarming over the park the news ran wildly through the town some thought it was a revolt others were of opinion that it was a revolution the first day of liberty was proclaimed here the breaking loose of anarchy was shrieked at there the mob capered and jumped over the sward for half the night through flower-beds and shrubs suffered a good deal not so much from wanton destruction as from the pure boisterousness which came of an unexpected opportunity for horseplay there were a good many little encounters with the police stones were thrown on the one side and truncheons used on the other pretty freely a detachment of foot guards was kept near the spot in readiness but their services were not required indeed the mob good-humouredly cheered the soldiers whenever they caught sight of them a few heads were broken on both sides and a few prisoners were made by the police but there was no revolution no revolt no serious riot even and no intention in the mind of any responsible person that there should be a riot mr disraeli that night declared in the house of commons half probably in jest half certainly in earnest 
that he was not quite sure whether he had still a house to go to he found his house yet standing and firmly roofed when he returned home that night london slept feverishly and awoke next morning to find things going on very much as before crowds hastened half in amusement half in fear to look upon the scene of the previous evening's turmoil there were the railings down sure enough and in the park was still a large idle crowd partly of harmless sightseers partly of roughs with a considerable body of police keeping order but there was no popular rising and london began once more to eat its meals in peace the sudden tumult was harmlessly over and the one personage whose impulse first shook the railings of the park may even now console himself in his obscurity by the thought that his push carried reform nothing can well be more certain than the fact that the hyde park riot as it was called convinced her majesty's ministers of the necessity of an immediate adoption of the reform principle the government took the hyde park riot with portentous gravity mr beales and some of his colleagues waited upon the home secretary the next day for the purpose of advising him to withdraw the military and police from the park and leave it in the custody of the reformers mr beales gravely lectured the government for what they had done and declared as was undoubtedly the fact that the foolish conduct of the administration had been the original cause of all the disturbance the home secretary mr walpole a gentle and kindly man had lost his head in the excitement of the hour he mentally saw himself charged with the responsibility of civil strife and bloodshed he was melted out of all self-command by the kindly bearing of mr beales and the reformers and when they assured him that they were only anxious to help him to keep order he fairly broke down and wept he expressed himself with meek gratitude for their promised cooperation and agreed to almost anything they could suggest it was understood that the right of meeting in hyde park was left to be tested in some more satisfactory way at a future day and the leaders of the reform league took their departure undoubted masters of the situation End of section eight